Hey Colin, it's Joe. Uh, just calling in a few days late, I guess. Uh, just to say thanks for uh, talking about Eldritch Tales. Um, I thought you did a really good kind of comprehensive overview. I appreciate it. Uh, really looking forward to our upcoming games, man. Cheers. Searching for moons For evil ogre in an ancient room Was a fortunate son of the OSR Without a ten-foot pole I wouldn't get very far The ground was murky and I caught a look As the dungeon master opened up his grim tooth book And then I fell into a spike pit Oh yeah, spike pit Oh, a bit would have spikes in it I'm Colin Green and you are listening to Spike Pit So, my last episode was an overview of Eldritch Tales. We heard Joe Salvador, the designer, at the top of the show there with some thanks. Much appreciated. Um, I'm glad uh, Joe appreciated what I did there. It's always tricky doing overviews, but messages like that for me make it all worthwhile. I hope listeners enjoyed it i have had some positive feedback so perhaps it's something i'll i'll try and do a little bit more of in the future this episode it's uh it's a kind of collection of callings really and it's around this idea of i think everybody has kind of a pet system that they're most comfortable with and they they, they kind of almost become a champion of just because they've done the, the deep dive on it, they can see the potential. For me, it's something like 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons or Dungeons & Dragons at large, really. I've always played it. I like the different versions. In fact, one version, funnily enough, we're talking about Eldritch Tales that I've never really played is White Box. And um, I'm quite fascinated to explore white box a little bit. I like the simplicity of it. I'm intrigued to see what other versions of white box have done in a similar way to Joe with his Eldritch Tales. He's he's put the Lovecraftian Eldritch kind of vibe into white box uh, or blended with white box. I've picked up uh, World War II Operation White Box. I've read through that now, maybe doing a, a quick overview of that. And, you know, that, that usually uses white box in yet a different way. And, like I say, I feel like that's a little bit of a theme 
of this episode, as well as some talk about the uh, response I got in relation to levers and some stuff about online gaming. Anyway, that's enough from me. Let's get to the call-ins. Hi, Colin. I just wanted to throw in a little thought about investigation. Um, Like a message I left you a while back, this is kind of coming from the place of game design. So as a budding game designer, thinking about investigation. Hmm. So currently in developing my system, I'm working on a prehistoric setting with Spencer and my friend David Sermon. Very exciting. But my mind has drifted towards some kind of investigative uh, version of the system. And very simply, it feels to me like the, the abilities or skills list would be relatively different. So that's really all I've got to say. I think it's different skill sets. So to finish that thought and hopefully make it a bit clearer, if you like, I wonder if a general kind of system that allows you to do everything will have a broad abilities list. If you've got a particular setting that leans towards particular abilities. And I think if the game system wants to emphasize investigation and put its uh, granularity, if you like, put a bit more detail in that direction, then your abilities or skills list would reflect that. So I think that's, that's, that's that. That's the end of that thought. Investigation. Interesting. Everyone's going crazy about it, right? Bye. Got to say, I agree with Barney on this one. If, um, if you want a, a game that's got more of an investigation feel, then look at things that you can add into the game to create that or not even add in just emphasize most of the the games you see out there by the the big publishers they've got the flexibility for you to achieve pretty much anything you want straight out of the books i feel that is definitely the case with fifth edition you've got loads of optional rules to twist the dials and make it do what you want and then as with any other rpg you've always got the option just to do what you like anyway so if like me you 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 don't have a vast amount of books i don't think you need to sort of constantly be looking over the fence seeing that the grass is greener on the other side you can play a tune with these games make them do what you want them to But perhaps you don't want to listen to old Spike Pit. After all, I'm not here to convince you or convert you over to 5th edition. Maybe you should listen to Andy Goodman and and, and go over to the the school of thought that suggests that Call of Cthulhu is the way to go. I play in a couple of games. I enjoy it, but I can't see myself running it because I'm so caught up with my fifth edition game it's a weekly game that's what my players want to play every now and then when i want to try out something a little bit different i'm just going to drop in a quick 
sort of lasers and feelings or uh, something like tunnel goons just just to try ideas out really or when I when I can't be bothered or I've got players that maybe don't normally play fifth edition and I want something approachable I'll drop them in but let's hear what Andy's got to say anyway and then the the other point about investigation so I I don't think there's anything in any of the rules that stop you from um, being able to run an investigation. But there's definitely some issues in two other areas. One, the setting. And two, the stories or the scenarios. So the, the setting has a huge effect on whether an investigation can be successful or not. As I said in my episode, if you've got all kinds of magic that allow you to just shortcut everything and find out knowledge that there's no way a normal human could find out, then it's really hard, I think, to do an investigation, to run a proper, run a good, you know, mystery. Because the mysteries are all just there waiting to be cracked open by casting a spell or praying to your God or whatever. So there he is, the man that says D&D's for kids and you can't do investigations. A little bit of backpedalling, I feel. And certainly there is nothing in the rules to stop you from running investigations. I've been playing D&D for years. I feel like we've always been getting involved in mysteries and investigations. I'm not a one for running a lot of, pre, um, a lot of published material. Just lately, I've been getting into that a little bit more, but I really wring out every ounce of content out of those products, and my my jungle campaign setting chart is ridiculous now. The amount of stuff that I'm just like pulling in from elsewhere and adding into it, I haven't even introduced really the adventure that comes in the book, The Tomb of Annihilation proper, that, that's not even kicked off and we're, I think we're maybe 30-something sessions in so far. You know, nearly, uh, well, upwards of 60 hours probably. Um, and I, I don't think that's typical. Lost Minds of Fandelva, theoretically I'm still playing it. Over 100 sessions in and it's just become like the Fandelin campaign. So when I... When I get going on one of these things, I can get really lost in the material. And consequently, I'm not buying loads of books. The last thing I need is to go out and get Call of Cthulhu, for example. But if you feel like you need some more books and you, you want ideas or a change of pace, by all means, I've... Like I said, I've enjoyed Call of Cthulhu. In particular, I've enjoyed playing the Call of Cthulhu Invictus. But I think a lot of that game is is about the setting, as Andy was saying. There's the adventures from what I've seen of them seem kind of quite quite involved. They're quite lengthy. There's a lot of writing in there, and I, I guess it's got that. Um, that literary kind of vibe going on that you, you, you might expect from a game that's got those Lovecraftian influences. And perhaps 
if that's what you're used to playing, Dungeons and Dragons scenarios can seem like weak source. But if you're creating your own kind of mysteries and strange goings on, like in Fandolin, we've got quite a, a web of intrigue going on. Admittedly, that's not in the produced material, although there are like uh, seeds for this kind of intrigue in that product. These are all things that I've, I've bought to it, the players have bought to it. So I would say, if you enjoy your fifth edition, don't let Andy put you off of running an investigation. But if you're curious, check out Call of Cthulhu or Gumshoe or any one of many different systems. It's horses for courses. Yeah, and as far as investigation games, I personally don't know that you need any mechanics for it. I think any game can be used for investigation. And I actually like Call of Cthulhu. You know, to to be honest, I don't particularly like the rules of any D&D. I mean, obviously, you know, according to Nate, Deuce and a Half is the best. I, I guess I would probably tear, veer towards the original BX. I don't need this silly OSC stuff. But, you, you know, I think if I was going to play D&D, any of the additions are fine, really. It doesn't matter because I'd rather play other systems. But everybody plays D&D, so you have to play D&D. And if you admit you don't like D&D, you get shunned and... And you're an outcast of the community. So, you know, I don't really admit that often. But I figured I could tell you because, you know, you, you wouldn't publish this, right? Would you? And there he is, the outcast, calling in from his lonely desert island, Jason Connolly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, his only friend, Wilson, the basketball for company. And why is that? because he doesn't like Dungeons and Dragons. Shunned by the community for his outrageous support of Barbarians of Lemuria and things like Top Secret, Boot Hill, all these old dead games that he insists on trying to breathe some life into. <laughs> and then just to ensure his isolation on the island of Grognardia, He's pouring scorn and throwing shade on the flavour of the month, the game of the hour, OSE, suggesting that one could just play BX. Oh, my goodness. Jason, you better lie low, mate. You better lie low. I feel sure that the Black Hawks are, are, are taking off from... A rooftop in Seattle headed straight in your direction. And that's quite enough of that, I think. A little while ago, a couple of weeks maybe, I asked about design levers. This idea came popping into my head that some games and systems punch above their weight for little effort you can achieve a lot of work and I received a bunch of call-ins let's get to them and then I'll come back with my response hi Colin I'm standing on one leg 
doing my exercises. Don't be alarmed. Okay, you want a lever? A real-world lever? Or something like that? Well, here you go. You know that I'm into my prehistoric settings right now. I really like that... Um, that spear launcher thing. I think they made them out of antlers and so on. You know, you kind of hook your spear into it and fling it and it gives you added power and precision because you get to kind of shunt it on uh, as it leaves your hand. So is that a kind of a lever for a lever? I don't know. There you go. Hey, Colin, Jason here. Talk about levers in game design. Careers in Barbarians Lemuria or cliches in Rhesus, I think, are huge. They really simplify, but, but grab, you know, the, the essence of, of being skilled in the area and work really well. I think timers, like an ICRPG, I, I think there are a number of ideas from IC, I, ICRPG that fit in this category. You know, the idea of effort, the idea of um, whether you do room target numbers or just simple hard or easy which kind of goes with advantage-disadvantage mechanics. So I think there are a number of good levers out there. As far as systems, entire systems that fall under this, I think the Troll Babe Lasers and Feelings family definitely fulfills it. Hello, Colin. Spencer here. And if I understand your question correctly, we're talking about concepts in design that um, do a lot of heavy lifting, I guess. Um first thing that sprang to mind was how backgrounds are employed in or, or rather careers I think they're called are employed in barbarians of Lemuria in place of a myriad of skills if you've got a background in something in particular that would suggest you're better at doing a particular task then that gives you the advantage um, and I also wanted to address uh, an error one of the many errors I made when talking about Osseus uh, and the use of qualities there, I, of course, lifted that idea from the PDQ system. So, yeah. So this topic, whilst I was quite inspired by it, didn't really capture the imagination of the listeners. I've got a couple of call-ins with good suggestions and examples of levers. Interestingly, Barbarians of Lemuria, they're getting a couple of mentions for its careers. This is an idea that I think if you've got a game with skill systems and you want to simplify them, it's the sort of thing you could you could apply to almost any system. Just do away with skills, talk about a kind of a career that your character's had, and then you, you can pretty much work out that other stuff on the fly at least i think you can i could certainly port that into a a fifth edition D game or a another variant of fifth edition in fact was talking about this earlier there there appears to be quite a a boom like a 5e boom going on at the moment all sorts of genres and publishers putting out 5th edition products or 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons compatible products. 
be they for Dungeons and Dragons specifically or just taking the mechanisms from the system reference document and and dropping it into a, a different genre I was looking at um, carbon carbon 2185 um, might be something that crops up in discussion later on it's a cyber cyberpunk DD game Cody Marza has been talking about hyperlanes so these 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 um, like hacks if you like I'm sure they come about when people start looking at other games maybe looking at some of these levers pinching ideas and putting them into the system of their choice ICRPG is a classic example of taking someone's home game developing their house rules getting a following of like enthusiastic players behind them and, and and blowing it up into a whole big system with lots of different genres lots of support loads of great ideas and and then you can take that that stuff that's come from icrpg like jason mentioned and feed it back into your original game so in the case of icrpg and hank he was playing fifth edition he had these ideas and it can go full circle now and end up back in my 5e game. And I think that's one of the big differences that you've got between RPGs and board games. Board games generally they're 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 more of a closed loop, whereas RPGs are super open open ended. Um, so we're constantly having these discussions about hacking and tweaking and changing up your game because it's it's not for everybody the idea of picking up a, a new system every time they they fancy a little bit of a change sometimes all that's needed is a a book for a bit of inspiration or just you you maybe see something on tv and you think oh i'd like to bring that into my game of choice and and i think talking about things like levers is a way to do that so if uh, if say you're a Call of Cthulhu fan, call in. Tell us all about your push mechanic and why you like it, or or whatever. You know, if you've got a pet system, call into Spike Pit. Tell us what's great about it, so that everybody can hear what you've got to say, and then we can all go off to our own uh, game of choice and see if we can make some use of of that idea. It's this cross-fertilisation. I think that's what the callings are all about. That's what that's what this hobby is at the end of the day. I don't think there's a table in the world that sits down and plays the same game. Hey, Colin. How you doing? It's Chris Shorb calling in uh i'm going you know as i've been saying i've been going through the backlog and i've gotten to the part where the pandemic is just starting to take hold and <clears throat> you're, you're just starting to get into doing online gaming and i was wondering now today late august in 2020 we've all been gaming now online for five five and a half months 
and I'm wondering what have people learned over those five and a half months? Those who are new to gaming, new to gaming online, or maybe they're old hands at online gaming, what new tricks they've learned? I'll share one that I've learned, and that is I always call on specific people when I say, I don't say the whole table, okay guys, what do you do? I say, okay, Frodo or Bob or whatever. I say, what do you do? That way that keeps the chaos down and makes everybody specifically understand it's their turn to say something. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Now, this is a great bit of advice. I can't remember where I first heard it, but this is a useful reminder. You call out the individual players, preferably by character name, perhaps. You, you stop the problem of either everybody talking at once or nobody at all talking. I find that experienced players don't want to um, walk all over or, or speak over others, and people that are not used to playing online, they they ha they haven't sort of developed the the discipline to maybe sit back a little and and hang on to their thoughts. So that is a great piece of advice. I um I stumbled across another idea that I thought was good recently looking at Mike Shea uh, slyflourish.com is the man that come up with the lazy dungeon master books or the lazy DM and he was talking about when you run theatre of the mind which is the way I run a game if you use something with a chat window and you've got players that sometimes struggle to visualise encounters and things like that, you can use a simple list, simple list of names as like a linear map. You've got the list of players or characters, perhaps in their marching order, and you can divide that list up into locations in a space, and when they encounter monsters, you can take the adversaries and populate the list with the adversaries. You can track damage next to people's names. You can track conditions. And you can do quite a lot just with this list. And the way you work it is you're running on the computer. You have a, um, a note-taking application open. And you just keep your list live in there. And as you change it and make modifications, say once per turn, you just cut and paste that into the chat of um, the chat window of whatever you're using. In my case, I'm sort of switching over to Google Meet at the moment, but whatever conferencing software you're using, just paste that over into the chat. And then there's a there's a a way for people that just can't visualize where they're at you've you've got this representation i thought it was a great little idea couldn't understand why i hadn't thought of it myself because when i'm playing i'm always jotting this information down on a scrap of paper as a list and all this is is taking that list and plonking it up in front of the players i think it's a great idea so that would be my tip thanks for the call in chris It's been a little bit of a disjointed episode. I know I've taken some longer call-ins from Andy and Jason and, and split them up across a couple of episodes. 
with a view to trying to keep things a little bit more um, organised in terms of topics. I'm never sure whether that's a great idea or not. It might throw some people off. But there you go. Thanks to everybody who's called in. I want to give a big thanks to the, the pit crew, my patrons over on the Spike Pit Patreon. We've got a game coming up soon with the man who opened the show, Joe Salvador. Looking forward to that one. Thanks for your ongoing generosity, keeping me going and growing as always. Last but not least, I want to give a big thanks to you, the listener, for taking a bit of time out of your day to listen to old Spike Pit. I'm going to close out the show with a message from Joe of Hindsightless. Take care. I'll catch you later. Yo, what's up, Spike Pit? Dude, one, it was awesome to hear from DM Ricky. That, that was a super rad surprise, man. Glad to hear he's feeling better. And two, uh, I also had a near-death experience with a cliff. I can't remember if I've talked about this or not, but when you were talking about sliding down the riverbank and getting stopped by a tree between the legs, I had a very similar experience. I ended up, long story short, I accidentally... Uh, ran off a cliff and started tumbling down and was stopped by the smallest bush. Uh, And if not for that bush, I would have gone, you know, another 40 feet down into the Pacific Ocean and the rocks and just a sheer certain terrible death. But yeah, man, samesies. Peace out.